Hey, it's good to be with you. My name's Travis. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we're, we're humbled, and we're thankful, and we're blessed to be worshiping Jesus with you today, um, especially if you don't know Jesus. Um, it's a good Sunday for you to, to be dropping in. Uh, if you don't have a church that you call home, we'd encourage you to put your roots down in this ohana of faith here at Showbreak. Um, and if you're visiting, we just want to say we're glad to have you. Why don't you grab your Bibles and make your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. We find ourselves in the middle of a five-part sermon series, searching out and discovering who we are as a people. The reason we're doing this is because we are trying to navigate through the clutter, through the distraction, through what culture has to say about your faith and who you are as a Christian. Because Make no mistake, people label us as Christians, and our culture tries to do a really good job of defining who we are and what we should value as a people, and even trying to redefine our identity as a people of faith. What we're also trying to do in this sermon series is trying to deconstruct either unbiblical or unhelpful beliefs among our faith by reorienting our lives to what the scripture says about who we are as a people so that we would live in a robust understanding of our journey as Christians. Because when we understand who we are, And when we enter into the greater story of God redeeming a people and doing a work in our lives, we begin to flourish together as a people. What we've learned so far is the founder of the church has designed the Christian experience, has designed your faith in such a way that you would grow up together. That we together would grow in maturity. That together we would take ownership of God's house together as citizens and saints and members. But if then God has not called us into individualism, but He has called us to grow together as members of His church, because we are the church, right? And we are members what should we grow in together? Okay, if if we believe that we are the church, and if we believe that we are, in fact, who belong to one another, what are we growing towards? What do we value? What are our core values as a people of faith? What is going to lead us to this maturity and this thriving as Christians? See, it's not enough to say, we're the church, we're members. What are we belonging to? As citizens and members of this house, what do we find to be of most crucial importance to our faith? From the meaning of these messages, we will be talking about our core values, who we are. And as we explore and search these core values, we are gospel-centered. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, we read now. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, 
if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. May we see with new eyes. May our hearts be reawakened to the beauty of when we first believed. And in doing so, may you restore to us the joy of our salvation. That by your word, our affections would be stirred for you anew. Help me to be faithful to your word. Help us to be faithful recipients of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are gospel-centered. We are gospel-centered. As we look at the significance of this core value, we're going to be talking about three things this morning as we explore what it means to be gospel-centered. We'll first be looking at the nature of the gospel. Then we will talk about the power of the gospel. And after looking at the nature and the power of the gospel, we will talk about the centrality of the gospel in our lives. Let me begin by asking you a question. What narrative is shaping your life? What story do you believe in this morning, or as you're hearing my voice, of which you believe will bring about something good in your life? All of us are shaped by stories that we are attracted to. All of us believe in those stories and narratives because in believing and being attracted to those stories or narratives, our hope is that they will bring about something good in our life or that maybe it won't bring about something good in our life immediately, but at some point it will result in a happy ending. What I am saying, in essence, is we all believe in a gospel. All of us. All of you. Every single soul that ever walked this earth in some way or another believed in a gospel. When I use use the word gospel, what I mean is good news. In fact, you can't have a story, you can't have a narrative without A gospel. It's embedded in every movie. Think about it. Your favorite movie. There is some form of a gospel. You're like, well, my favorite movie, The Heroes Are Villains. Great. That's fine. But even there, there's some sort of gospel narrative. There's some sort of hope of overcoming or championing or winning. 
embedded in every movie. It's promised in many popular songs. It's part of everyday life in a myriad of ways, even if you cannot see it. It's the reason you wake up. The reason you wake up. Some of us wake up better than others. Especially me. I just, mornings are not my thing. But the reason we get out of bed and we wake up and we put our slippers on and we go out and we do whatever we do is because we are believing and we've bought into a narrative. We believe in a story. There is a gospel that is shaping you and me. That is giving us hope. So let's just break this down if we're going to get really practical here, right? Like, what is this practically look like? So if you believe in the narrative of fitness, what is your gospel? That, that you're going to look good and you're going to live long. And like, yeah, get those fitness people. Okay, essential oils, right? Let's go there. You, you believe in the narrative of essential oils, okay? Like, you, you buy in the story of essential oils, that's fine. But what is your gospel in believing in essential oils? That, that you're going to heal quicker, or if you're in pain, it will at least, uh, at least in, in some way or another, remedy pain better than, than, than the, the medicine of the modern age. How about this? If you believe in the story of consumption, that is the more I get, the nicer car that I have, or if I can get the upgrade because we need heated leather seats in Kona. <laughs> but but you, you get the upgrade, you, you get the thing that you want, you get the new phone, even though it's going to be obsolete in about six months. Or it's going to break. You're going to drop and the screen's going to crack. What is, what is the gospel of consumption? You're going to be more satisfied. You're, you're going to be happier. Man, you got stuff. You got what you wanted. You got this shiny new thing. How about the story of wealth? What is its gospel? Security. What is the story of religion? Well, the gospel in that is that you can earn approval from God. The narrative of position. If you get position and receive position the gospel of that is you can control other people maybe or positively influence people for change some of us believe in the narrative of relationship that is if we get a significant other or we have grandkids or we have more grandkids or whatever we will have more fulfillment and feel more completed the point is, we all believe in a story and we are all shaped by these stories because at the center of every person is some form of good news they believe in. It's what keeps life moving forward. And so let's pause for a second here. What narrative or narratives do you believe in this morning? What story have you exercised faith in that will bring about good news see the thing with those narratives and in those stories is they often make promises they fail to keep or even if they can keep the promises that they've made those promises cannot last forever and when we believe those gospel we end up believing in a false gospel And the reason we value the gospel of Jesus Christ is because we believe there is a transcendent narrative that comes from God above all other narratives and that this narrative is the best narrative, is the most life-altering narrative to believe that you and I need to hear. And even if you've heard it, you and I need to be reminded of 
again and again. So what is the nature of this gospel? Well, verse 1. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. So who's this guy preaching to me, and why does he call me brother? It's the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of 1 Corinthians, inspired by the Holy Spirit. As his pen moved, God was communicating and moving through him to write to us today what we are reading. When we're talking about the nature of the gospel, the word that Paul used here, gospel, was a word that was commonly used in Rome and in empires during that day. A gospel or the gospel was someone who would bring good news. That's what the gospel means. It means good news. From the Greek word, it's euangelion. It's an announcement of a story. That's what the gospel is. It's sharing of an exciting narrative that in one way or another is going to affect your life. So during that time, people heard gospels all the time. There were a myriad of different gospels. There would, there would be some army would go off to war. They would fight the war. Hopefully they would win the war. And then someone, they could go on social media and just kind of post, hey, this is what happened. So they had someone go back to the country, to those people to make an announcement. We won. The battle has been fought. We won the war. There is victory. And they would come in and they would shout and they would proclaim the Good news. And here what Paul is saying here is, hey, I have earth-shattering news that I need to remind you of. I have a victory that is to be announced, a war that is won, a narrative about an event that has taken place, about a king that has taken his throne. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And his name is Jesus. He actually says in verse 3, for I delivered to you. There it is. Paul is the one announcing. He's come back. He says, there is a new, this, Jesus is on the throne. He is the one. I'm delivering this to you as of first importance, what I also received. Received what? The gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So what is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus. The good news is a person. It's Jesus. And Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the greatest news. Jesus is the greatest announcement. There is nothing worth thinking about, nothing worth dwelling upon, nothing more that is worthy of your devotion than to think about the glorious beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the nature of the gospel, which means the gospel isn't, hear me right now, I'm just going to say, I need to do some deconstructing here. The gospel isn't the sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer can be if done in an appropriate way, a helpful tool that brings about confession and repentance. But it's not the gospel. Um, the gospel is not a category of music. And a lot of it's neither good, nor does it have gospel in it, just so you know. This is my opinion, but you can, you can email me later and I'll just send it to the trash. I don't really care. So, um, 
<laughs> the Gospels is not your testimony. Now, hear me. Your testimony can be a powerful tool to evangelize and share with others, but that is not the gospel. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for sinners. Why is Jesus our good news? There's a key phrase that Paul says here in the middle of verse 3. And I know it's so easy to glaze over and just assume things, but I don't want us just to assume the gospel this morning. I want us to hold fast to it. Why is Jesus our good news? Christ died for our what? Sins. Sin. Before there is good news, there must be bad news. Before there is hope, there is always despair. And the bad news is sin. That's why Jesus had to die. Because of sin. And sin is something that all of us do. Every soul born to this earth is an evil, wretched, wicked, idolater who hates God and worships themselves. And in Romans 3, Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you might be thinking, okay, wow, that was intense, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Like, how many sins does it take to make you a sinner? One. How many lies does it take to make you a liar? One. We're all guilty. We do sin because we are sinners. We are evil. That's why Paul says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has fallen short. That's what sin is. Sin is coming up short of the holy perfection God demands. You guys, because God is holy, He requires holiness and perfection of people. But sin is coming up short of that holy perfection. It's like when my, when, when, when my family, we, we go to a, a, a theme park, and we're at the theme park, and the, the, the older boys are like, yeah, we want to go on a roller coaster ride. It's like, all right, let's go on a roller coaster ride. And they ramp up their brothers. And it's like, Alistair, we're going to go on a roller coaster ride. He's like, what's well, a roller coaster? Okay, I'll go on it, whatever. And so we're getting ready to, to, to go on the roller coaster ride. And before you stand in line, there's this thing, right? The ride height. So we walk up. Sure enough, I remember one time vividly, Alistair fell short. Of course, his brother's rubbing it in his face, right? You feel sure you can't go on the ride. And, and he's like trying to do everything he can. Stand on his tippy toes. Come on, I just want to reach. I just want to qualify. I don't want to fall short lest I be disqualified and not be able to enjoy the ride. Because of sin, we have fallen short of the glory of God and are disqualified from knowing God, loving God, and living with God one day. In fact, not only do we sin, but we don't want him, nor do we love him. Just read 
Romans chapter 3. That's us in our fallen state and our condition. Dead in trespasses and sins. No one seeks after God. That's, that's what Paul says. Paul says. So, even if our own religious efforts, we want to try to earn our way to God, we can, we can stand on our morality, we can try to you know, get thicker shoes and try to stand up, but guess what? It's not like we're one inch or two away. There is an infinite level of perfection of God's holy righteousness of which we could never achieve on our own. Can't do it. And so where do these sinners go to be punished for their lack of holiness and perfection? Where do sinners go? Hell. An eternal lake of fire and damnation where you, if you were unrepentant in your sin, where those who do not believe in Jesus will burn in everlasting fire. Their bodies will never be annihilated. And in that place of torment, there will be worms weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the people you get to hang out with are other sinners who rebelled against God and Satan and his demons. Because, you guys, because God is righteous and just, he must punish evil sinners. You know, a lot of times, like, yeah, God is good. All the time. The goodness of God should torment us. Because God is good, it means he is just. And because he is just, it means he must justly deal with sinners. And if everyone is sin and fallen short of the glory of God, everyone is hellbound. Everyone deserves hell. Yet in an act of incredible grace, there is a phrase here again that we've got to latch on to. We've got to believe. Verse 3, Paul says, Christ, talking about the gospel, died for sinners. There it is. He, he dies. He died. Why did he die? Why did Jesus die? Because of sin, Jesus is slaughtered, murdered, and buried. Because of who God is, of his nature, God is good. God punishes all sin. There is no sin. God's like, didn't see that one. I'll just pretend like that's not there. Sweep it under the rug. No big deal, okay? In fact, if he did that, he would be corrupt and evil. And knowing that all sinners will be punished for their sin, God sends his only son in the flesh and pours out his wrath for the children of God as Jesus hangs there on the cross and bleeds himself out. And Christ died for your sins. Why? So that you don't have to experience that punishment. He takes the punishment. He takes your evil and wears it on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin. So what? That you might experience the righteousness of God. So guys, do you see what's happening here? God simultaneously demands righteousness, which is horrible news for sinners, yet graciously provides righteousness through Jesus. Amazingly good news. Amazingly good news. 
that what God righteously demands, he also provides by Christ dying for your sins. Can we just pause for a moment and forget the cliches? Guys, be in awe that Christ died for your sins. If you are a citizen, if you are a saint, you believe in him, Christ died for your sins. All your past sin, present sin, and future sin. Gone. Not, not disappeared. Atoned for. And the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because if Jesus had not risen from the grave, then there would be no good news. There would be no gospel. In fact, we should be pitied above all men. We'd be those pathetic people. We'd be wasting our time right now. In fact, if you believe in a gospel, Paul says here in verse 2, but don't believe in the resurrection, your belief is in vain. It's an empty faith if Christ has not been raised from death. The nature of the gospel, which if you talk about the nature of the gospel, it's inevitable. We're going to talk about the power of the gospel. Verse 3. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So Jesus dies the ugliest death anyone has ever died. Jesus was buried for sin, dead, Uh, in a tomb for three days. And just think about this. The most brutalized person in the history of of the world could barely make it to Calvary where he would be crucified because he had been whipped, flesh open, vital parts of his body, maybe even his ribcage being exposed, exposed, bleeding himself out, unable to carry the cross to where he would be crucified. His pierced hands and feet dies, is placed in a tomb of which a heavy tomb is rolled, sealed, dead in there for three days. The most, if there was anyone who was ever dead, it was Jesus, right? Yet the power of the gospel and of the Holy Spirit raises Jesus from the grave. And Jesus is alive. Man tried to kill him. The devil tried to end this thing once and for all, but Jesus conquers Satan, sin, and death forever. And he is wins and he is victorious. And guess what? The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that raises you from your deadness and trespasses and sins. You guys, you're victorious in Jesus Christ. You're, you, you might sin and you might stumble, but you're not going to be marked by sin. You're going to be marked by righteousness in Jesus Christ. And that's the working and the power of the gospel in your life. That once a sinner, God sees you with Jesus' righteousness because on the cross, a great exchange took place where Jesus took your sin and in exchange, he gave you his holiness and righteousness. Isn't that awesome? So when God looks at you, what does he see? Fully accepted fully perfected, fully loved by Jesus. You guys, Jesus loves you. He sees you, and when he looks at you, he sees, well, God, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus' righteousness. See, the the power of the true gospel is that we are not reconciled to God by our efforts and our righteousness, but by the efforts and the righteousness of Jesus. Because imitating Jesus is not enough. Well, I want to try to be like him, and, and, then, and then maybe I'll earn approval before God. No, no, no. 
Well, I like Jesus' teaching and his principles and his morality, but that's not embracing the gospel. Or maybe you've diluted Jesus, you've taken Jesus, but then you kind of have like some mysticism over here, you kind of have some weird beliefs over here, and you've taken Jesus and you've diluted him and added him to your other beliefs or religions. That's not the gospel. The gospel is pure. And the gospel is the news of what God has done to reach us. It's not advice about what we must do to reach God. It's not advice. That's why it's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? It's not the gospel of fitness, essential oils. It's not the gospel of relationships. It's not even the gospel of Travis Scott. It's not the gospel of insert your name. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you begin to feel emptied of self-powered efforts to change, when you feel like, oh my gosh, so there's really nothing I can do to earn approval before God, when you begin to feel that emptying of your own self-power, you're beginning to arrive at the power of how you're actually changed. You don't change yourself. Resurrection and grace transforms you and changes you. And Jesus takes what we are not and he makes us what we are in Christ. Guys, when we hear the gospel, it's powerful. Like, I, look, I have zero authority to change you. But the authority that has been given to me and authority that has been given to you also as a member and as a citizen and as a saint of the house of God, the authority we have is the gospel. We stand on the authority of the scriptures. And when we hear the gospel, it is powerful. It reveals our sin. It stirs in things in us we never realized and you guys you begin to change like for if you have a certain struggle or if you have an addiction of you of a sin that you've just been wrestling with and you want to put that thing to death that's not the flesh by the way the flesh wants to feed those things the flesh wants to pour into those things and have you indulge in those things but for you to want desire to put certain things to death power of the work of the gospel in your life. You have affection for God. The gospel is at work in your life. The gospel reveals our sin. It gives us a desire to repent, to lean into Jesus if we are truly saved. In fact, that's what we see. The gospel is saving us, verse 2. You guys, the gospel is so crucial to our faith to fail to continue in the gospel shows us we never truly believed in the gospel. I preach the gospel to you which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. The gospel changes everything. And the reason the gospel is so valuable to us as a people is because this gospel alone is the only narrative that eternally changes those who believe in it. But you might be thinking, okay, but I was an alcoholic and I'm not an alcoholic anymore and I, I didn't do that without Jesus. Okay, maybe you did. You were doing drugs or, you know, you were messing around, 
sexually, and you know, you're like, but you know, I'm, I'm just going to change myself. And, and you know, maybe you did. Maybe you uh, morally changed yourself. Maybe you put yourself together. Maybe you have outwardly and externally done a lot of things that have brought about positive change. But no earthly gospel can take your heart of stone and melt it into a heart of flesh other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, if those things happen, great. But if your heart's still hard, you're going to go to hell sober instead of drunk. You, you, I'm, I'm, it's more than just these things, you guys. Jesus isn't an add-on to an already put-together life. You know, I got my life together. I got my retirement. I got my thing. I got my morality here. My kids are good and they're cute. And all these things are going together good for me. And you know what? Maybe sprinkle a little bit of Jesus in my life and then I'll be set. Jesus is not an add-on to an already put-together life. The gospel upends and completely reorients our life where Jesus now becomes our entire life and our existence. It's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You're going to kill me? I'm going to go with Jesus. It's only gain. If I'm going to live here, I'm living for Jesus. That's what Paul said. It's awesome. Can't touch a guy like that. This good news changes our life. He changes us from the inside out. Guys, this is what the gospel does. The power of the gospel. Lastly, Look at why we value the centrality of the gospel. What is, what is our case? If we're going to make a case to say we are gospel-centered, and that's like the first thing we're all about. Uh, prove it, right? Fair enough, prove it. Okay, prove it. Verse 1. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand. Guys, I love what's happening here. This narrative is so great. The gospel story is so awesome. It cannot be contained. A story so compelling, so life-shaping. Paul is reminding them again. He's like, I'm, I'm telling you again and again and again. Oh, hey, can I tell you again about the gospel? Because you might be thinking this morning, hey, I know this. In fact, when you heard we're going to be talking about the gospel, you're like, close your Bible. Isn't this only for non-believers? Right? You're like, come on. Seriously, you're talking about the value of the gospel, the centrality of the Okay, whatever, right? You know, Paul's like, I don't care. I love this so much. I can't wait to tell you. The gospel is to be reminded of again and again and again. In fact, he says in verse 3, I want you to see this. He says, For I delivered to you as in of first importance. First importance. See, while the Bible is full of truth, and it is, the scriptures do emphasize certain truths to be more important than others. Which is why Paul says, hey, this is of first importance. In fact, in chapter 2 of the same book, he says, I desired to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The supreme message of the Bible, the most important message and narrative we could ever listen to, the thing of first importance is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you might be thinking, isn't this just the milk? Can we get into some meat? Isn't this just kind of the ABCs of our faith? 
Yeah, okay, great. Jesus died for my sins and he rose again. I already believe that. Can we talk about some more uh, deeper theological things that, that, I can, that I can grow in? That's how I used to think, honestly. In fact, that's how many of us still think today. But note, who is Paul writing to? The church. Who is he reminding the gospel to? Christians. Hey, Christian. Hey, believer in Jesus Christ. Hey, those who belong to the church. Let me remind you of the gospel. See the centrality of the gospel? Because Paul knows the only real change that you and I will fully experience is in the gospel. See, believers need the gospel just as much as non-believers. And we are gospel-centered as a church because, listen to me, we never outgrow our need for the gospel. We never reach a level of maturity in Christ when the gospel becomes irrelevant. I've been walking with Jesus for five weeks. Don't need the gospel anymore, right? Five years? How about 50 years walking with Jesus? Is there ever a point of which the blood of Christ, his atonement for your sin, and the empowerment of the gospel, which is presently saving you, becomes irrelevant? arrogant actually for us to think that we as believers don't need to be reminded of don't need to dwell upon to think about the gospel we need it desperately we need to be reminded of these great truths because we forget these great truths that's why paul keeps reminding them think about this if think about this the disciple who walked on water the disciple who saw jesus transfigured on the mountain and the disciple who was personally trained by Jesus, Peter, could stray from the gospel as an apostle of Jesus Christ? What makes us think that we will not stray? No, so you're, you're pretty awesome this morning, but Peter's better than you, Okay. Like, you're never going to reach the level of maturity and spiritual office of apostle. Like, when you write, you're not writing books of the Bible. Jesus did not say to you, upon your profession, I'm going to build my church. Yet here is Peter, and he strays for a season of, of, of walking away from the gospel. He eats with Jews. Did not eat with Gentiles for a while. So Paul has to rebuke him and call him out for it. And you know what? When Paul calls him out and rebukes him for it, what, does he deal with his racism? No. He confronts Peter with the gospel. Hey, if it's big enough for Peter and if it's big enough for Paul, <laughs> kind of big enough for you and me, right? In fact, not only can we individually stray from it, but whole churches can. That's why Paul has to remind Christians in, Gal in Galatia in chapter 1 and verse 6 and 7. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another truly saving gospel. Guys, every 
generation of Christians are tempted to stray away from the gospel. D.A. Carson says, one generation believes, the next generation assumes, and then the next generation forgets. We are all tempted to stray, prone to wander like we sang, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. The greatest danger to Christianity is not Islam. The greatest danger to Christianity is not politics. The greatest danger to Christianity is not persecution or even our culture. The greatest threat to our Christian faith is a Christianity without a rich understanding of the gospel. The greatest threat to a Christianity is a Christless Christianity. A, a Christianity that has no gospel because if you suck the gospel away from Christianity, then we have no power. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We need to be reminded because we forget. So how does he remind them? He reminds them through preaching. That is, regular gatherings where people are reminded of the gospel. He's reminding them that they've already received the gospel by faith. So do you guys see here the cadence? They've heard, they've received it, but is it enough to hear and receive the gospel? That's the question. No, now he's telling them they stand in it. Look at verse 2, or verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you, okay, here it is, received. They heard it first, by it preaching. They received it, and here it is, in which you stand. Are you standing in the gospel? I'm not asking, do you believe in the gospel? I'm not asking if you've heard of the gospel. I'm asking, are you standing in the gospel? You guys, when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and who Jesus is as the Son of God, even the demons believe. Oh, you believe? James is like, half-brother Jesus, good for you, so do the demons. In fact, Jesus warned us. He said, there is going to be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And on that day of judgment, there will be those who are going to fall on their knees and on their face, and they're going to profess Jesus as Lord. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. But Jesus, we did awesome things in your name. We preached, we healed, we gave, we did a bunch of awesome things. What do you mean, get away? I never knew you. Because it's not enough to hear, it's not enough to believe. The gospel is something we must so build around the center of our lives, it's something we stand on presently. Is the gospel something you just intellectually believe, or is the gospel the very foundation you are building your life upon? 
guys, our greatest passion should be the gospel. And not just sharing the gospel, which we should do, but it should change how we think. The gospel should affect what we love. The gospel should change how we view the world. It's so important. Paul tells us it should hold the place of first importance in our life. First importance. Preach it to yourself. Remind it to yourself. Think about it. Grow in it. Pick up the Bible. Find ways where the gospel is not changing you. In fact, something we often say within our leadership team is, and we, we even challenge to the church, is in what way and in, in what areas does the gospel need to renew and bring about change in your life? Because we never outgrow our need for the gospel. This is, what we're, this is what we're saying. That the good news of Jesus reshapes our whole life. Are your relationships in line with the gospel? Is how you spend your money in line with the gospel? Is the way you work standing in the gospel? Is your sexuality marked by the gospel? Is the way you give and love and serve others standing in the gospel? The narrative of Jesus' resurrection is of such supreme importance. Every story and earthly promise is viewed through the lens of Jesus' death and resurrection. It changes everything. See, we are gospel-centered because we believe in the story only Jesus can save us. Only Jesus can help us. Only Jesus can satisfy us. And only Jesus can change us eternally. Everyone believes in a gospel. Do you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you being shaped by the most powerful story in history? And are you standing in the gospel right now? Let's pray. Father, who are we that you would be mindful of us? That we would be on your mind? That you would be thinking about us and in thinking about us you would actually communicate to us the way we can be saved? May we not take for granted the gospel, the greatest message to ever be declared and told, that is the announcement has been made this, to our hearts this day, we would receive it with joy and with gladness. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would experience anew the refreshing work of the gospel in our lives. For God, if it's just my words, we are emptied of our power. But if it's truly the authority of your word through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will be changed. Jesus, change us. You are the potter. 
We are the clay. Mold us, shape us, transform us. And may the gospel and what you have done for us be the core value for our church and for our lives as individuals. For it is of first importance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.